It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I have Marco Missinato on the line with me today. He's in Italy at the moment, so it's a little bit late there. Not too late, but thank you for doing this, Marco. Thank you. Thank you for having me with you and your audience. It's lovely to be with you and <laughs> spend some time with you. Marco is an artist, a music composer, a photographer, but mostly he's a messenger of peace. And I believe we really need that right now in our lives. So as someone who has been a dear friend for many, many years, it's nice to catch up for me personally. And I'm happy to share Marco with our audience. Let's get right to it, Marco. Tell everybody where you are and what you're doing in your life at the moment. Yeah, uh, presently I am uh, in Italy. Uh, and I am uh, right now. I'm finishing to mix uh, my latest album, which is entitled uh, "Journey of the Soul." And uh, what was the other question? What I did, I've been doing until now. I've been uh, creating. That's uh, all, like all of us. Uh, I am a creator. I create my own reality, and I love to express myself through the arts. So I'm, I can define myself as an artist. Artist with a heart. Yes, a very big heart. And you share that heart. That's what's really wonderful about you. I've watched this for many, many years. So let's go way, way back. Yeah. Where were you born? Where are your roots? Yes, I was born in uh, a small town uh, near Venice, about 45 minutes north of Venice. The name of the town is Pordenone. And that's where I was born from two very, very young uh, couple, very, very young couple. They were barely 20 years old. They just met. And as soon as they met, I was conceived. <laughs> you decided it was time for you to be born. And you said, those are the people. <laughs> yeah. Like all of us, I choose my parents. I choose my location. I choose all the circumstances of my physical experience. <laughs> So that's wonderful, though. So growing up, when did you first realize that you had this creative side? You started playing piano very young, right? Yeah, well, uh, mostly I started to create music very young. Well, what happened is that um, like most of the little children, uh, well, I was, I, I would say I was particularly sensitive uh, as a child. And I was very, I would say I would, was towards very like almost angelic energy so i was very pure and very very open uh when i was born my mother didn't feel any pain i didn't cry i was smiling already so it was kind of very very uh, soft and loving uh, child but with that sensibility of course i i immediately uh copy i mean i immediately uh felt the the harshness of the separation and the the, the 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 suffering of the collective, which wasn't really dramatic, but it was still there. And so, in order to uh, to to um, do something about it, I would spontaneously go to the music, to the sounds. I would I would try to create something in order to make things even more loving, more more at ease. Uh, you know, because there was a lot of drama. Of course, being an Italian, there's a lot of drama, but also the whole planet is is. You know, it's filled with a lot of uh, uh, scarcity, starvation, uh, uh, polarities of all kinds. So, uh, and as a child, I was so sensitive and, and I, I immediately uh, tune in with that kind of vibration. And as a, in a way to counteract that kind of vibration, I started to create. So how old were you when you have memories of doing this? I was probably... Uh, 
three years old or something. I have a theory that what we love to do and what we're compelled to do when we're very young children is our gift. A lot of people move away from that, but you didn't. You stayed in it. You were a bit of a protege with your music. Talk to me about some of the music as you advanced, as you got a little bit older. What did you then do? Because the world isn't always ready for people like you. Well, I have to say that uh, in my perceptions, we are all prodigy. Uh, it's just that most of us immediately get um, into a forgetfulness stage by the programming uh, of the environment. Uh, but yes, uh, I had uh, a unique gift. Uh, and I, again, I believe everybody has unique gift. Uh, but the difference is that for some reason, I didn't went into the programming. I didn't become immediately a puppet, uh, obedient, that was following the curriculum. I was always outside of the curriculum. Of course, I was, I was endorsing the curriculum because I have to, but I never be, uh, get lost into it. So I maintain a connection with, I would say, the higher self. I maintain a strong connection with my true self. And that was a big uh, plus for me because it allows me to keep being myself and don't get lose, lost into unconsciousness. How long did you live in Italy before you started moving to other places in the world? First uh, 25 years I was in Italy. When I was mm-hmm. uh, six years uh, old, uh, my closest family, my mother and my father, moved to the big city in, in the center of Rome, in, uh, in, uh, in Rome, in the capital. And there I spent another... 25 years um, and in those times of course of course I was already creating music but my music was uh, within the, the the four walls of my little tiny room with whatever instrument I had available at the time and um, I, I at the time I would use the typical uh, old-fashioned tape recorder there was cassettes at the, at the time and because my the process of creativity for me was completely continuous there was not training so I, I went into the habit to record whatever would come through because the mind was not involved and so I, I it was coming through in one passage and then I would not be able to repeat it unless I record it and so after a few years, I had a room. My room was uh, filled with hundreds of tapes of ideas and uh, melodies. And, and that became my library of music, which I'm still tapping into it today when I, pu- I produce music. So you kept all those cassettes. Yes. And now I, I transform them into digital information. But I have hundreds and hundreds of melodies that are basically waiting for me. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So we're creating these melodies for people who don't know. Were you using the piano? Were you using what instrument were you playing or was it you singing? Yeah, there was different stages. Uh, the first few years, I only had a little flute, toy guitar. And then uh, at a certain point, uh, my musicality started to get noticed by the environment, by my family. And so I got a little keyboard. And then after that, a little keyboard, a bigger keyboard. And I finally got an organ. When I was 10 years, my mother gave me an organ. And for me, it was a major thing. And then finally, I got an up, uh, upright uh, piano when I was uh, 14. Uh, and that was interesting because at that time, I already had hundreds and hundreds of melodies. And, uh, uh, and of course, the family was completely tapping to... Um, survival you know it was all about surviving so everybody has a job have to run left and right so they didn't give really right away uh too much attention to what was happening within my myself but at a certain point my mother 
decided to uh because she 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 started to hear my melody i was playing basically five six hours a day composing so she, you know, every time she would come back from work she would hear music and at a certain point she wanted to uh to figure out that's what adults do mostly with children they want to see if they are really gifted by uh measuring them with the the rules and regulation of the society. And that's usually a big mistake because the society not necessarily is uh, in line with what a little child carries himself. But what happened is that my mother invited a very big, uh, important person in Italy uh, in terms of uh, music, compositions, and everything else. Yeah, I was about 14 years old, and uh, my mother... Um, invited him for dinner and he wanted me to basically listen what I was doing. And um, I, that was, at the time, I was very introverted. I didn't like really to perform in front of people. It was my own thing. And uh, But there was this habit that every time a cousin or a relative or a friend come, I would have to play some music for them. And and so I did with this professor and uh, he listened to it. And to me, I played for a few melodies that I was composing and he said, no, no, he doesn't have any talent. Uh, he's not gifted at all. Uh, it's a waste of time for you to invest on music. Um, uh, he, needs, he needs to get a job, <laughs> basically. Oh, my goodness, really? It was an interesting uh, situation because it was a test for me to see how much I was going to uh, uh, stay in integrity with my heart, despite what the outside um, source was telling me. And I didn't take it uh, negatively. I actually, for me, it was a relief because I certainly didn't want to get involved with the educational music system because I I I, I felt that I didn't know, I didn't know I need to maintain myself to a certain level of purity in order to be able to download those kind of uh, melodies. If I start to get uh, polluted with a lot of right and wrongness about music, I would have lost the connection. And so I, I would have physical symptoms, contractive symptoms when somebody or like my mother would say, why, why don't you study piano? Why don't you study compositions? There was a part of me who would say, you already have done that. You know everything about music. You don't need to do that now. There is something else for you. Uh, and so when this guy did not uh, acknowledge my gift, for me, it was actually a release. It was like, ah, OK, good. So I can maintain my freedom and I can, can can maintain my imagination and my creativity without having to deal with this kind of uh, situations. I think it's important at that moment because a lot of people who are creative would have let that basically kill their creativity. You didn't allow that. You were so confident and so joyous in what you were doing, kind of bounced off and you just kept going. That to me is very, very important for people to learn how to do. Yeah, it was, uh, It was again, it, it wasn't even so much uh, courage. It was just like, oh, good, good. So I can keep doing my thing without being bothered. You know, that was kind of the, the theme that I had. I didn't, I didn't take it like, I'm not good. And I'm not good enough. I didn't, I didn't go to bed at all. Uh, and that was uh, a good thing because um, it allows me to continue and do what I'm doing today. So you were 14 when that happened. Where did you go from there? What happened from there? I, uh, well, I did a, a huge variety of uh, different things. I, I, um, I was doing, uh, I, I studied actually actor studio 
the New York Actor Studio, they were in Rome, and I did acting, not because I wanted to become an actor, because it was an interesting uh, way to work my inner creative muscle, and I enjoyed very much, and I, I was wonderful, and if I would have chosen to be an actor, I probably would have some talent there, but it wasn't, it was just a way to, to express myself, to go deeper into certain parts of myself that uh, wanted to, I wanted to explore with. So I did that. I, uh, well, life took me to many, many other situations. At a certain point after, of course, that was the, the high school time and the, the college time. And then I had to be a military for one year. It was mandatory. So at the age of 22, 23, I became a, a military for one year. Uh, uh, before that, I, I started to work in a magazine. I want to make some money to buy some a microphone for my voice. So I was doing all kinds of jobs, all kinds of situations. I was doing modeling because I was very photogenic. Uh, and that was a, another way for me to quickly make some money. And uh, Talk to me about the magazine. What was the magazine? Because your photography was gorgeous. I remember seeing some of those. Yes, uh, the magazine. I started to work uh, with magazines that, in which my mother was involved. Because my mother, uh, at a certain point, uh, literally created these magazines, which wasn't a magazine at first. It was a small newspaper. Uh, and it was about uh, scientific uh, and medicine uh, uh, reports, the latest news of, from professors and doctors uh, at the European level, even at the world level. And so um, my mother was uh, teamed up with uh, quite a remarkable journalist. And the two of them started to create this newspaper. It was their dream. They want to create this newspaper. And so they started to work. And I started to get involved with it, uh, first by just uh, literally helping uh, as a handyman to do things. Uh, you know, there was a time at the beginning, we didn't even have time, the, the money to mail the magazine. So I would deliver the magazines. I would I would go all over Italy to deliver the magazines to the hospitals and to doctors. You know, and then I started to work into the graphic because the magazine, the newspaper started to be more rich in content. And I started to play with the, the idea of, of composition graphic. At the time, there was no computer, so it was all uh, cut and paste and uh, and uh, glue, using the glue and all that. You know, and then uh, take a picture. And then a certain point. Uh, I would say a couple of years later, the, mag the newspaper turned into a magazine. And the magazines, of course, require need pictures. And I said, I take pictures, of course. Let me do that. And so I, with some money from the magazine, uh, I bought an old Micromat. At the time, it was a very old camera, Nikon Micromat. It was the beginning of the Nikon. And I started to take pictures. At first, I just I would go just you know there is an article of a big professor, so I would go to the hospital and uh, take picture of the professor while he's sitting at his uh, desk, <laughs> uh, you know. I would start with that, but then I would start to be more creative. And as I was moving deeper into the the picture, the picture were starting to be more impactful to the magazine itself because I was starting to do things very interesting. For example, there was a Let's say there was an article about diabetes. I would take a picture of ice cream or sugar and, and make all this interesting blending of uh, colors. And, and then the, the article would be very colorful and beautiful. And usually the, the kind of category of magazines until then, they were quite plain, black and white, and filled with formula and scientific reports and quite boring. 
And that started to create a, lay, a layout that really stands out. Mm-hmm. We started also to get more attention. And then we started to get into Milan, which is the, the New York of, uh, of Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where we got um, from, uh, we started to get some serious money and become bigger and then become two magazines, become three magazines. At that point, I have uh, the Asseblad, I have uh, professional lighting, I was traveling. And, and so I did this for, for a few years. And so that was the initiation for me to be a photographer. At the, at the same time, I was keeping doing my music. The music was always my first. Uh, in fact, all the money I would make from photography would go into the music. <laughs> I would buy people. I would, I do that. I would uh, uh, you know, rent a little studio to record a few things with a, with a good microphone and so on. And so, so that was the, my, the, the, the 70s and the 80s. Uh, and then at a certain point, what happened is that the magazine, uh, uh, the um, industry of uh, medicine, uh, there, there was a big scandal with the pharmaceutic, pharmaceutical industry. And uh, so uh, the whole industry collapsed for about a couple of years. And so inevitably, uh, a magazine could not sustain itself because at that point we were at the level where we had a substantial amount of uh, expenses to maintain number after number the, the magazines. So in three months, we could not get uh, uh, the sponsor. And so the whole thing collapsed. Hmm. It was a big turning, turning point because at that point, I was already being in America as a photographer. I came first in America as a photographer to take pictures of people with AIDS. Because at that time, uh, AIDS was a, a new happening. And there was only a few patients in New York and in San Francisco. Uh, there was no patients in America, in Europe just yet. And so they flew me to America to take picture and make a story and make a, um, a articles about AIDS and uh, take picture of AIDS. And so that was the very first time I came to America. Do you still have those those stories handy? Can you find them or are they filed away forever? No, no, I have some story. I, of course, I have a lot of pictures. Yes. I think that um, what you did at that point, if I remember, because it's been many years since you showed me some of those magazines, you were combining photojournalism and the news aspect of what you were doing with this incredible sense of creativity and your ability to see the graphics and the colors and the composition and tell a story with the emotions behind the picture. I think your photography does that as much as your music does. Obviously, the music is your first love. But by the way, for those of of you who will be listening to this, Marco has a site called Missinato Photography. Dot com. It's M-I-S-S-I-N-A-T-O photography.com. And you can see some of his photography there. You can also go to marcomissinato.com and get to it from there. But I encourage everyone to look at those pictures because they say a lot about how you see the world. And okay, so you went to so I went the United to, States. So I went to the United States for the first time. And for, for me, it was a love at first sight. Mm. Uh, as soon as I arrived to America, I felt the freedom, the immense possibility potentiality of this country mm-hmm. i was really really excited when i went to new york san francisco to uh, los angeles um and so uh that uh, i i went back home uh with that seed inside my system it was ready to flourish eventually at his own time and i came back with uh, almost six thousand slides so i took a lot of pictures because at the, at the point i was a professional photographer so i had a pass and I could basically enter any place because it was an internationally recognized uh, pass that very few people have. It's not easy to obtain. And so I was able to take pictures uh, in Medford. And those pictures were valuable for the, magazine, for the magazine because they cover a lot of topics for the next years. 
to come. But those years never came because, again, everything collapsed. And so at that point, it was a big turning point for me. Okay, so the photography is temporarily uh, uh, collapsing. I would, I could, I could have gone to Milan and get some jobs uh, from other situations, but I wasn't really a kind of person that gets a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, can't, I cannot see you punching a clock. I'm sorry. Right. No, exactly. that's never going to exactly. happen. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, I did my military service. I uh, the the magazine was stopped. So I, what I did, I said, I I think it's time for me to go to America and 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 start a new adventure. And so I did. I I sold uh, some of my pictures and uh, I had a few thousand dollars in my packet. Uh, I bought a ticket and I, I brought my little keyboard and I arrived to Los Angeles. And uh, at that time, I didn't speak English and I didn't know anybody. Uh, so the, it was quite an interesting adventure to be in a, such a uh, different city because Los Angeles is quite different from the Italian cities. You know, I remember arriving to Los Angeles, I was looking for a center, <laughs> you know, because in Italy, there is a square in the center of the city. <laughs> you know, and I could not find it in Los Angeles. It was like, I always felt like I was outside of the city, you know, <laughs> and I could not speak to anybody because I didn't speak English. I would say just two few words. Oh, we call it, it was urban a... sprawl. <laughs> it's urban yeah. sprawl. It's like tentacles everywhere. We don't have the squares like they have in Europe. Anyway, go yeah. ahead. So you got off the plane. You go into L.A. searching for the center. <laughs> searching for the center, right. Uh, no, I, what, well. Um, what I did, I, I chose Los Angeles for a specific reason because I needed to stay and have a, uh, a visa permit because with touristy visa after 30 days I was I had to leave. And so the best way to do that is, was to become a student. And so I, for the first time in my life, I became a student and I enrolled myself in a school of music. Uh, but I didn't want to do those long three, four years, five years of uh, college, music college, and the shorter. Um, uh, exciting school that I could find it was musician the Musician Institute in Hollywood which was only one year graduation uh, time and it was uh, expensive and not as expensive as the Berkeley so for me I said okay I'll I'll pretend to be a student for one year at least I get by time and I am in America and then we'll see we'll take it from there and so I arrived and after a couple of months I, I began, began the, the course. Of course, I could not really understand what they were saying, but somehow I was, I was doing my thing and somehow people were recognized that what I was doing uh, was good enough to get graduated. But I really never really learned a lot. I just share what I already felt was in me. Uh, but it was a, a good experience. It was a lot of fun. I made a lot of friends. And I had enough time to start to strategize to and see how I could proceed um, uh, the, advent, the American adventure. And so after one year of graduation, I, uh, I, I finally bought a little car. I remember I spent $1,500 uh, and I bought a very old uh, station Vega Volvo. <laughs> and uh, and I was very happy with this one because I could carry all the keyboard because at the time I started to sing in order to make some money because I needed to make some money. So I uh, I said, I don't want to get a job. And also I could not get a job because I wasn't a resident. But if I can start to sing, I can get some tips. And uh, I never considered myself a professional singer. But somehow uh, I found a job in uh, in, a, in a small restaurant, Italian restaurant. 
uh, and it was long, long hours. And the bus boy was making much more money than me for sure. <laughs> uh, and every day I would uh, la- upload the, the sound system with the speakers, and and uh, you know, and then I have to tear it back down. Home. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it was like four or five hours singing. And I was just making tips. So it was like, I don't know, 20 euro, $20, $30, sometimes $50. You know, that was the, the situation. But that was uh, starting to do something in me because it forces me to sing for many, many hours. At first, I started to sing Italian songs because the Italian restaurant wanted me to sing Italian song. And then from there, I started to refine my uh, my repertoire and my singing and uh, uh, after it took me a good three four years but then I started to break through into the celebrity in Hollywood I started to get hired by um, Hollywood stars by rich and famous right by billionaire I start to work for monarchies I end up uh, singing for the Queen of Jordan. I end up singing for the Minister of Iran, for for a situation where, you know, politicians were there. So I started to get, that. it took me a good five, six years. By the time I was singing all kinds of songs in Spanish, in English, you know, I would sing jazz, I would sing uh, the American classic, uh, you know, the Italian classic, it's Spanish. So I had a um, asset uh, that allows me to, pay uh, my bills and also start to produce my own music and that's and that's when uh, of course I started to record the album and produce music I think that's around the time that I met you probably yes I believe yeah many years ago you were prolific I remember you being prolific I remember you being non-stop loving what you did and no matter what came at you you just kept moving forward you kept giving back it wasn't that you were performing it always felt to me that you were giving yourself and asking the audience to open up and receive it and to give back to you am I right about that yes for some reason I never gained a fascination about fame about success, career in, in the music industry. For me, uh, like you said, uh, it was really uh, sharing. For the same reason, I was creating music when I was a little child to create a, a sense of love among the people in my family. I was doing the same at a large scale now. I was creating music to create oneness, to create uh, unity, to create love, to create mm-hmm. peacefulness. You know, that was the intent. At that time, I couldn't really elaborate about it as much as can I do now. Uh, but I, inside me, that was my motivation. So I was very pure in my in my approach, in my in my creativity. I mean, you've been offered big contracts. You've been offered. You've had people in your life who have wanted to make you into a big star, and you've turned it down because you wanted to keep your music pure. Correct? You wanted. Yes. Uh, why did you turn it down? What What motivates you to to take this, as you call it, the journey of imagination and the solitary, sometimes a solitary approach too in your life? Talk to us about where all that comes from yeah definitely uh solitude was the the major ingredient in my los angeles story which lasted about 20 years i had good friends but um yes the solitude was was part of it but it wasn't it wasn't dramatically uh, it was okay i mean but um yes there was a quite a sense of deep so, so uh, loneliness in my in those times uh in regard to the music um Every time I would come close to uh, a situation where it was requiring, uh, was involving the music industry, 
I would literally felt a strong contraction of my stomach. I would have really physical symptoms, contractive symptoms. It was a strong message that what I am doing was not for that reason. At that time, uh, I remember uh, many people would... Uh, uh, proposed the idea that I, in fact I was scared, you know, I need to heal, you need to figure out things, you're afraid of success, you're, you're mm-hmm. you know. but, and I, I was never, never convinced about that idea. It really was a, a knowledge that, uh, no, no, don't do, my soul was telling me don't do that because there is, mm-hmm. you have to be patient, but uh, eventually this music will be used for something that uh, is different. Yeah, I never saw it as fear. I saw it as just this very quiet acceptance of who you were and a, and a joyfulness about you. Talk to me about how do you define joy? How do you know as a creative person when you've given that to other people and when you you have it in yourself? Talk talk about joy. Where does that come from? Joy is, um, in my perception, joy is our natural state of being. When we are organically in balance, and we are in integrity with our heart, we follow our joy. Uh, There's no other way. My formula has always been follow my joy with no expectations. So I I will remove the expectation from my doing, and that would uh, remove completely the the drama, the contraction, the, the, the disappointment, because my reward was coming through the action of being creative itself. So I was already rewarded at the end of the process. So everything else was an extra bonus for me, you know. Of course, this is something I learned, anchored this knowledge as I was walking my path. Uh, And uh, now it's it's quite consolidated. But it was always there. I never, I I always did things because it it gives me joy. If I wouldn't see the point of doing something that doesn't give it, because then I would shift into the scarcity survival mechanism. And then I would be out of integrity with my heart. And would, probably I would say, what I, what I would do, in the, if I do that, I would say, okay, life, I do not trust you. <laughs> I trust my fear more than you, life. And so I get out of my integrity and I do whatever I need to do to survive. That would have been a message that would have been counteractive for me. And somehow everything worked because I always had just exactly what I needed in any given time. So this idea of scarcity and, and survival mechanisms, I think, uh, I suspect they are artificially created to create a sort of control on the masses. In reality, our natural state to be is joyful, is abundance, is, is fun, is a work of service. You know, that's, that's the, our natural state of being. Define abundance. Abundance. Uh, abundance is to have the, the freedom to be fully who you are fully yourself that's for me is the highest level of abundance it doesn't have anything to do with possession or anything like that uh, the more you are yourself the more you're abundantly connected with life and then life responds to you accordingly there are so many people that i want to hear this message and i'm so grateful that you're still doing this after all these years and your music is beautiful talk about uh, you talk about resonance with your music. Can you tell us what you mean by that? In my perception, we all come from sound. Everything is resonance. Everything is vibration. So life express, create first as a sounds wave. And then from the sounds wave, it crystallizes into matter. 
So our blueprint is sound. And sounds has two options. Either is dissonant or is resonance. These are the two choices, right? So uh, when we step out of our integrity with our heart, we live an experience of dissonance, which is a wonderful experience. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just an experience. When we are in integrity with our heart, we live a, 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 an experience of resonance. So we are resonating. means we are, everything flows because we are doing, we are, we are fully ourselves. We don't compromise. So in my perception, since I was a child, what I noticed is that humanity, because the polarity of the experience, because we are living in such a, a harshness um, environment, we step into a dissonance uh, situation. And so the responsibility of the musician, when he's uh, a fully awakened musician, when he's fully uh, responsible, is to create music that tune back the dissonance of each individual into resonance. That's why I call sounds of oneness what I do, because... My idea is to create a musical experience where everybody at the end, their, their heart is fully open. And so now they are in resonance with their, their internal gift. It's beautiful. And it's so true. You know, a lot of people talk about we are one, we are the world. And I think that music is healing. It's very healing for not just on a psychological, emotional, spiritual level, but also on a physical level. I've seen studies where people who have had strokes and who can't talk but they can sing. The brain waves are altered when you listen to music. And I know that you've, you've also, you've created music for, for pets as well as for people, right? I thought that was an interesting journey too. Talk about that for a minute. <laughs> well, there was a, a interesting idea that came from the fact that when I was a child, uh, every time I would compose some music, I would notice that animals would come. You know, a little butterfly, a little cat or a dog or a bird would come nearby. So I noticed that I felt that nature actually was responding even more than humanity to what I was doing. They were much more more receptive, you know, to the sound. And so I I came to that realization that music can be also very uh, supportive and uh, healing for pets because pets have a very heavy duty world. They have to copy with the uh, uh, with the contraction of their owners that they are always uh, you know you know uh, surviving, and so they are constantly tense and contracting. So they they do, they do this wonderful, amazing work to to uh, bring somehow with their presence, with their unconditional love, they bring, uh, they heal, they, they have that ability. And so I felt also that could be supportive for them too, to listen to some good I think music. it's wonderful. It works <laughs> and so I, It I works, it. it really works. I've seen the reaction of these animals when, when the music starts to play. You talk about 144,000 open hearts, live events. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yes, there was a time a few years ago uh, where in order to uh, step to a higher level of consciousness, humanity would have to reach a number of, let's say, more awakened people. And that is a precise number, which is 144,000. 144 in sacred geometry and a very unique number. And um, the idea is that when uh, that number of people become awakened, 
they create a domino reaction to the whole humanity. We will feel that kind of uh, uh, situation. So my idea was to create uh, a sequence of uh, live performances together with live streaming where I could gather simultaneously exactly that number and with the music open the heart of the number and consequently uh, whole humanity would have felt positive uh, reaction to it. The good news is that we already reached that that, uh, awakening. So now we are over so things in fact for the people that are more tuned in with the subtle energy of the collective you they could they can feel that a lot of things are changing a lot of things are moving and that's because we reached that massive uh, that number of uh, awaken far now we are far beyond that i think you're at the crest of the hill it's wonderful to watch talk to me about unfolding secrets yeah unfolding secret was my last uh, uh, project in america it was uh, uh, a collection of music that i have created some uh, when i was uh, much younger and some were more more recent i i felt guided to create uh, an album that had more like a contemporary classic kind of flavor because it can penetrate the heart from other from other levels and so i started to produce the album uh, I, I wrote all the music and then i produced the album with uh, uh, a good friend of mine also he's an italian he was taking care helping me with the arrangements or with the strings arrangements. And who was that? Uh, his name is Emanuele Arnone. He lives in Los Angeles too and he's a wonderful musician. And what happened is that at a certain point the album was finished, but I felt it wasn't finished. I really heard a, a soprano vocals. And so I started to search for soprano singers until I found on Facebook uh, Kristen Hoffman, uh, which is a soprano singer in New York. And I, uh, I felt a resonance, and so I, I contacted her and said, Hi, Kristen, my name is Mark, I'm a composer, I'm producing some music. Would you like to, would you like to put some, uh, some uh, would you like to sing some of the melodies that I've written? And uh, I sent her a couple of uh, tracks, and she loved it, and she wanted to do it. And so um, she was uh, very professional, she is very professional, and she sent me back the file, perfectly recorded, wonderfully executed, and it was beautiful. And so that was the, the final touch that uh, Unfolding Secrets was needed at the time. And then um, after that, um, uh, I took a break uh, because I was, um, every time I finished an album, I gave all I got, so uh, I need to uh, st- uh, stay put for a moment. And I responded to an invitation from a good friend of mine, which was here, saying yes, that she was inviting me to visit her in Ecuador. And so I went to Ecuador just for the idea of the, having a vacation. But it, it turned out not to be a vacation at all, because as soon as I got there, I felt that something was happening in Ecuador. I remember for some reason, I was, uh, it was Easter, and I was uh, sitting at the table with a lot of Ecuadorian uh, aristocratic uh, people, having dinner with them. And I announced that I was going to do a concert in uh, in the city of Cuenca with the Philharmonic Orchestra. I don't know why I said that, but I said. It. <laughs> I love that. We have to, that's wonderful. And everybody looked at me like you are crazy. You know how difficult it is to get to the Philharmonic Orchestra. It takes years just to get taught to the music director. And so there was immediately, as often happened, when you spontaneously, enthusiastically say something uh, that is a dream, everybody try to turn you down, right? 
Yes. And actually, for me, it's the opposite. It makes me even more excited. There you go. No, no, no. I'm going to have a a concert and I'm going to do it in a couple of months. And you are all invited. (laughs) And the day after the dinner, I went to the conservatory of music in uh, in the city of Cuenca in Ecuador. And uh, I went to the Philharmonic Orchestra. I identified the music director and I introduced myself and I talked to him at first. He was uh, a little bit skeptical. Who are you? What's, you know, and, you know, uh, often a music director can be difficult people because they have quite, a, you know, a, an attitude in, in, in a good way, but they feel like, and rightly so, they feel that they are, they're a big, uh, big important. Well, they're very protective of the way they want to do things. Well, yeah, yeah. Because please, that's please. their livelihood and that's what they're about. So you talk to him and then what happens? I talk to him and uh, as usual, when I talk to people, I always break through the idea of hierarchy. I just talk, uh, I mean, if I talk to a cleaning lady or I talk to the President uh, Trump, I talk uh, the same way. I don't, I don't embellish or diminish my, you know, it's, I'm very genuine. So I said, hello, Maestro. I give him a hug. How are you? I'm Italian. I'm so excited to see you. And guess what? I have a beautiful record and I would like you and your orchestra to play. You know, that's how I introduced myself. <laughs> I said, are you crazy? We are busy for the next three years. We are booked completely. I said, okay, no worry, maestro. Um, it's okay. It's I, I'm very busy too. I'm a, quite a composer and I have a lot of things going on in New York. So it was just an opportunity for you and your orchestra to play <laughs> from a Italian composer. You know, I play like that. So it's like, Oh, um, it kind of changes uh, attitude a little bit. And so he said, okay, come with me. And he took me to the studio and he put the CD on and he started to, and he closed his eyes and he started to listen and he started to direct the CD like, listen, oh, this is beautiful, this is good. And he said, okay, so you like it? Said, yeah, it's beautiful, but I'm too busy. Oh, okay, and I, I shake my hands with him and say, okay, it was lovely to meet you. Too bad. Uh, I have also soprano, a famous soprano singer that is coming to sing. He was willing to come to sing with you in the orchestra, but it's okay. We'll maybe. We'll... And then the day after, I received a phone call from his manager. The, the maestro would like to talk to you again, to see you again. So I came back. He said, well, I look at, uh, you know, I can put a couple of your songs on, on my next concert. I said, no, 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 we don't have time to choose songs. Excuse me. Uh, I would not fly the big soprano singer from New York, Christine Hoffman, just to do two songs. Either we do the whole concert or we don't. And then say, okay, let's do, I'll give you two nights. And so we got two concerts with the Philharmonic Orchestra. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, what did your friends say who were at the table that night when you called them to tell to invite them? Exactly. Then after a few, uh, few weeks, because it took a few weeks to coordinate Christine has to come and then we produced some videos we went in the forest to sing and to, to do some shootings I did a documentary about unfolding secrets and what is behind the scene of unfolding secrets and uh, and then finally we had this uh, two beautiful concert with the Philharmonic Orchestra and that's when I called my friends and say hey everybody you have a free ticket nobody could believe it you know <laughs> that was happening but that that what happened and that was the story of my uh, 
Ecuador experience. I think that when you're doing what the universe is sending you, what they're, the universe is communicating with you yeah. that you should be doing, then everything falls into place. So that was a total example of you listening to the voice and letting it happen. Just you were there, you knew what to say, and it and it happened. When you talk about walking the path, what do you mean by that? Well, we all are in a path, uh, in a journey. Uh, the, the physical journey, the earth journey. Um, and it's a, it's a fascinating, beautiful path. And we can, uh, we can, uh, we have the free will to choose how we're going to uh, walk through the, the journey. So that's what I mean. Walking the path is walking your life to uh, fully own your life, uh, honor your life and, and live it fully. You know, that's, uh, that's the way to go. But the reason why that Ecuadorian episode was successful is because I didn't have any expectation. Mm-hmm. I did. I was not needy. I didn't need anything. I was just playing with it. Don't take anything too seriously and play with everybody and everything. And that allow this playfulness to crystallize and create in the most joyful, most beautiful way. And I think that's the most wonderful formula to follow your joy without expectations. Because the moment you put expectation, then you start to be contracted, you start to be manipulated, you start to manipulate. Uh, and so you lose your purity intent and, and you, you, you lose your childlike uh, approach, which is basically the secret of, of life in many ways. I totally agree with that. That's what's kept me going in my life is finding that joy and just going with it and playing with it and being childlike, allowing that inner child to play with you every day. It's amazing what you can accomplish in your life when you do that. You talk about from dissonance to resonance, and you were mentioning that a few minutes ago, and and I'm remembering the uh, video that I saw that you had sent me a while back called A Thursday Evening with Sounds of Oneness. Yeah, And you started out the workshop by telling people that, and I should let you probably tell this, but what I'm remembering is that you told people that you wanted the music to help them open their hearts and that you were going to start with minor chords and work towards the major chords. And explain that to people who don't understand music very much, why that is and, and how that worked in that particular instance and throughout your life? Okay, so the purpose of that experience was to have, uh, create an open, heart-opening oneness experience. And uh, the reason why I started with a, a tune in the, in the minor key is because I want to create a contrast. Because the minor key, uh, it creates um, uh, vibration like uh, sadness, like uh, emotional, heavy emotional situation, which are beautiful to be, to be felt. Some of the most beautiful music in the past are in minor keys. Uh, but I want to initiate the process with that kind of uh, situation and then slowly build up into, into gradually get to the oneness, the heart opening situation. That's what I did. And uh, those people were particularly open. And so this, uh, the experience was very successful. At the end, everybody were just literally crying and h- hugging each other. It was and they kept talking about this experience until today. I still receive emails and say, oh, my God, that was an incredible experience. I can't wait to do it again. 
And so that proves how powerful music can be. Do you think you're going to do another one anytime soon? Or what's, what are you working on right now? You talked about you're in post on your new album. Yes, but that's, yes, uh, uh, to answer your question, yes, that's what I, uh, I am here to do. I'm mm-hmm. here to create oneness and create um, mm-hmm. a heart-opening experience and emotional release through the power of music. So, yes, I, I, that's what I want to do most or more than anything else. And so the idea is to create uh, concerts to create uh, experience where there are specific frequencies, uh, there are specific melodies in order to create uh, the environment that facilitate the release of emotions. Because one of the biggest challenges for humanity right now is that they have a lot of emotions that are stuck in their system. They need to be released mm-hmm. so that they can uh, fly higher. I agree. This might be completely off the subject, but I'm curious about how you feel. There are a lot of people searching for nirvana, searching for their joy, searching for a a higher meaning, and they turn to things like drugs or ayahuasca or kava kava or, you know, they're using substances to help them open up. So, Marco, you have a very pure approach. How do you feel about special aids i guess you would call it well you know i in my perception uh there is no right and wrong there are just experiences so if you resonate towards doing an ayahuasca uh, journey uh, there's nothing wrong with that it's just an experience uh mm-hmm. and if you need to do mm-hmm. a dmt experience or, or a drug experience Whatever your soul is, uh, is driving to you is what you need to do in any given moment. It was interesting, this experience, uh, because what I did uh, with um, uh, Thursday evening with Sounds of One, as we just mentioned, because at the end, when I, people started to um, share what they experienced, a few of them, they said, it was beautiful for me to understand that in order to get high, I don't need necessarily to have an external device like a ayahuasca, uh, I, I can do it without a tool, a toy. I can do it myself. And that's the most beautiful thing to uh, come to aware, becoming aware of. Because in, in truth, uh, basically an ayahuasca trip or a, a drug trip is just a permission slip that uh, attempt to give you permission to be what you already are. You just have to open your heart. You can get there instantly. But some some people, mm-hmm. you know, we have a lot of uh, contraction, fear, mm-hmm. limited, limited beliefs, programs that doesn't allow us to do that. And so if an Ayahuasca journey uh, is you, what you feel what you need to do, by all means, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful experience. I get there through music, you know? Yeah. When I asked you the question, I got a very strong feeling that, no, it's not necessarily people can do it without all of that. They just need to trust themselves. So it, it's interesting. That's, that's why I asked it. I've, I've always felt that I'm, I'm actually better off when I don't have any of that around me, because then I have more freedom. I can fly higher on my own. I'm not judging. Exactly. Uh, I don't want to uh, judge it as bad or wrong. Uh, so I, I I respond to you in this fashion uh, because I don't believe there is anything right or wrong. It's whatever is in resonance. It's just resonance. Whatever resonates to you is what you need to do. It's really, really simple. Uh, but sometimes we get uh, confused. And we think something is resonating, but in reality, it's not a, a true organic resonance. It's a mind mm-hmm. resonance, and the mind, we are not the mm-hmm. mind. So we need to be able to discern what is organic resonance and what is fictitious mind 
resonance, which is the ego. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between the ego and the heart. You have a quote on your website that I saw. It says, as we walk the path, we realize we are the path. What uh, inspired that? Yes. The realization that uh, uh, the, the journey is more important than this destination. The journey is what we are here for, not the destination. And so when you, we surrender completely to the journey, that's when we get really the juice of this physical experience. Rather than constantly be concerned about when we are arriving, where are we going, how do we get there? You know, there's constant this, this contraction. But if you surrender to, into the journey, uh, then eventually you come to the realization that the journey is what we are here for and not the destination. Mm-hmm. So I would love to be able to talk more with you. There's so much to hear from you, so much to learn from you, so much to experience with you. What do you want to tell everyone listening before we go? Is there a message you want to specifically give to those who are listening to this? I know how, how difficult it is for all of us uh, to be in this uh, uh in this journey is it's quite challenging. It's probably the most challenging uh, choice that the soul can make. But in his uh, difficulties, it's the most fascinating and most beautiful journey ever. And so at this point, I think what is really relevant for each of us uh, in the planet is to, um, first of all, uh, try to get in connection, in contact with our own uniqueness, with our own gifts. Uh, but I realize that many of us are so uh, disconnected that they don't even believe they have a gift. And they don't think, they think that to have a gift is something for just a few special elected. But it's not true. We all are special. We all have a uniqueness. And uh, um, the pursuing of uh, finding our uniqueness, if we haven't found it just yet, is, uh, is obtained by deprogramming ourselves. This is what we need to do right now. We need to deprogram. We have a lot of uh, uh, programs that are in, embedded in our system, a lot of belief systems, limited beliefs that limit our imagination. And so right now, what is most relevant, more than career, than money, than whatever, the most important thing at this point is to identify all those programs that uh, have served us well until now, but now we need to let them go so that a new level of freedom and possibility can enter our life. And so every time we feel a contraction, or let's say somebody trigger us or push our buttons, and we enter in a sort of reaction, that is this person or this situation that is pushing our buttons is our best friend because it's showing us what is within ourselves that we need to recognize and let go because it doesn't serve us anymore. That's the mirror image that tells us the truth. Yeah, of course, there's much, much more. It's a very vast topic, uh, and this is a very short summarization of what, But uh, because we could talk uh, for hours about this, uh, this uh, situation. But this is where we need to look at. We start to, we need to, to ask the questions. How can we be of service? How can... The choice that I make today, in what way is helping humanity? In what way is making the difference? These are the very important questions that we need to ask to ourselves. Well, I think what you're doing is incredibly important and absolutely beautiful. Where can people go to learn more about this? And would it be on marcomissinato.com? Would that be the best place? 
Yes. And so that's M-A-R-C-O-M-I-S-S-I-N-A-T-O.com. And also you can get some of Marco's music on Bandcamp, correct? Yes, my discography yes, is in Bandcamp, yes. So go to Bandcamp, search for Marco Missinato, and you can get Unfolding Secrets. I bought the album and was listening to it yesterday again. It was nice to revisit it. It's absolutely beautiful. And uh, I encourage everyone to walk this path with Marco, give each other encouragement and lots of love and lots of joy. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio, and I want to thank Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this broadcast so that we can talk to wonderful people like Marco. And remember what I tell you guys, get up off your chairs and go do something wonderful today. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 